Hi there, I'm Rory O'Connor, Professor of Health Psychology and a Mental Health Researcher at the University of Glasgow. And I'm Craig, a filmmaker and content creator at MQ Mental Health Research. And welcome to MQ Open Mind, a podcast that brings together lived experience with scientific research to help us to better understand mental health problems. And we hope to do so in a way that is accessible to all. This week we have speaking Guinness World Record holder, Lee Timmis. In this episode, we spoke about self-improvement, finding your purpose and breaking records. Welcome. Uh, thanks, Lee. It's absolutely great to have you here. So I'm Craig and I are delighted to have you here for our, our podcast, um, our MQ Open Mind podcast. And so I'm just really excited. I've been reading up about these incredible achievements. I mean, incredible, truly incredible. I mean, I can cycle a bike from a bit from maybe I could do from Glasgow to a wee bit further from Glasgow, but that's about as far as I would go, <laughs> mainly because I'm frightened of, of other road users. But I mean, what was in September 2018, you're now a, a world record holder, fastest person to cycle across Europe. So, and uh, 16 days, 10 hours, 45 minutes or something like that, I've been reading. I mean, just incredible. So maybe could you tell us a bit about, well, really your interest in, in sort of mental health and cycling. Just take us a bit about your journey, your history. Yeah, well, thanks very much for your kind words. That's amazing. And you've done the research. Yeah, that's great. Thanks very much. It sometimes takes me a while to remember the numbers. So you've done a really good job. Um, but the, the world record is kind of, just the latest part of the achievements, the things that I've done on the bike. So I was always into bikes, you know, I've been into bikes since I was a kid. Um, And I guess for me, a big part of it has been kind of the freedom that the bike gives to you, you know, it's a bit of an escape from no matter what you're going through. I think this is why cycling's taken off so much recently. Mm -hmm. The stresses that we all go through at work, the stress that you go through at university or school or, you know, the home life. There's so many pressures nowadays and the bike gives you that moment to be out in the place that you want to be in at your own pace, going at your own speed with your own thoughts. Or, you know, one of the things for me, the difference between mountain biking and road biking, the road, you've got all this time to kind of think about what's going on it's almost like meditative kind of a state mm-hmm. where you've got that repetition and you're cycling and you're thinking or if we go off-road you're completely in that moment of flow where you're avoiding trees and rocks there's a jump there's a descent there's a climb and hours can disappear I love these these kind of poetic like the poetic nature of the bike I love getting out um, and I guess the biggest escape for me was um, in 2010 I, I went off and I, I decided to ride a bike around the world. That for me was going to be a two to three year adventure, but it turned into a huge kind of, um, I guess I'd call it like a pursuit of happiness in a way, you know, I thought but I was going But that's a bit of a, bit of a, a leap, is it, from enjoying the scenery and, and getting away from things, cycling to then doing this really extreme, huge commitment of time and, and your life. So what, so what brought you from that first bit of being cycling for pleasure, for distraction, for mental health and well-being, to really making that, that huge decision then to, to dedicate so much of your time and on, to doing that. To doing the world record. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. It was a year's total dedication to the target. Um, it was never supposed to be. The bike was purely, it was so much fun. You know, 
those great memories that I've got as a kid, I'd finish school, I'd go home as quick as possible, grab my bike and go out, go over to my friend's house and we'd watch these videos. It was a little bit different back in the mid nineties. It wasn't all about like your sponsorship and your achievements and you know looking better than each other. We used to watch this video called Dirt and it was about um, mountain bikers that were the UK's best cyclists, but they were just out like doing tricks with their friends, hanging out in a cottage, riding through some of the iconic areas of the UK. And that's like, that's who we wanted to be. Just these three guys having amazing time. So we'd watch these videos and then we'd emulate their tricks in the woods up the road. And I just remember it like the sun being cast through the trees and the dust being kicked up and it was fun. That was what I wanted to do. I think along the way through life, I got confused between making myself happy and making mm -hmm. other people happy. Um, and then you kind of, you do start to pursue greater things. In fact, I gave up cycling when I was at university because I wanted to achieve success, you know, to get first class degree, to get the best job, to get wealth, mm -hmm. and then you'll be successful and everyone will love you. And it didn't turn out like that at all. Um, that actually kind of ended up being where I started to struggle with my own mental health. But coming back from around the world, which was purely that pursuit of what I loved as a child, and it had started as an escape. Um, I realized that I wasn't going to find maybe what I was looking for going around the world on the bike. It wasn't about the bike, it was something else. And that was a seven year adventure. Towards the last year or two, I was looking for community. I was looking for belonging. I was looking for relationships. And so I started to come home. When I got home, I suddenly realized, you know, for seven years you've been the guy who's riding a bike around the world. And then you become the guy who rode his bike around the world. Mm -hmm. And you're confronted with the same things. You know, I thought I'd go away and come back as those heroes that I'd aspired to be. You know, you see people who sail around the world or they climb the highest mountains. You think life must never phase them. You know, you must be undaunted by everything. You could attack everything. And I got back and realized I was the same person as I was before, you know, with the same pressures and responsibilities, financial relationships, whatever it was, dealing with it in the same way. Um, overwhelmed, anxious, depressed. And so I, I think at that point I looked for the next big thing. What's the next escape? What's bigger than going around the world? And for me, it was a world record. Mm -hmm. What changed at that point is um, I, I kind of, unknown to me at the time, kind of took on a mentor, um, a businessman who was really successful and started to guide me in the way that I could shape my life around cycling now that I'd come back using the skills and the experiences that I'd had. And we looked at this world record together and it said that Guinness World Records made no um, differentiation between a supported or an unsupported effort. And so he started to ask me, you know, in which way would you be able to do, give it your best attempt? And I was like, yeah, well supported, but I don't need to because I could go out and do it myself now. And he's like, okay, <laughs> in which way will you mitigate the risks better? Mm. Well, yeah, with the team, but I can do it now. I can just fly out. He's like, if that's the best way you can do it, that's the way you'll do it. Yeah. So I started to look at not what I could do, but what I wanted to do. And I built this team of scientists around the project and suddenly everything was growing around me. It became this very big professional um, attempt that I'd never expect. I thought I'd needed a coach, a nutritionist and sports massage. And I ended up with this huge science team based out of universities and with rigorous research and data around everything. Um, it completely changed me. But I think it was so beneficial. Instead of kind of going through this repetition of I could ride a bike around the world, I could do a world record. Actually, 
it became this journey of growth because as I'd explained, when I got back from around the world, I was still the same person. Mm. I'd explored the world external to myself, thinking I was gonna change, but in order to change, you've got to look within. Yeah. And yeah. with this team of physiologists, psychologists, nutritionists, I had to look at myself in a way that I'd never been brave enough to before. You know, when when you go through these things, if you really want to grow, you've got to analyze what's happened. You've got to look at those dark places and find the solutions, develop solutions to what you what you want to be. So what do you think you were escaping from and, and how in terms of the context of your own mental health and, and well-being? Yeah, let's take it right back because I think this is a really poignant, it's a pivotal moment in my life. So I'd gone to university to study film. It was kind of this weird world where the cycling didn't quite fit in. I remember this um, show and tell day at university where everyone was bringing in their favorite film or their favorite book, or they'd been to see this band. It was culture, it was like arts, the arts world. And I brought in this bike and I was like, it's made of these amazing carbon fiber parts. And I'm spending five to 10 hours a week training and then we go out in the woods and they did like the suspension's really cool. And, and the, everyone around me was like, what are you, what are you doing spending all your time just riding bikes around? Like, you know, mm. what's it actually getting for you? And I, I didn't really know, you know, it wasn't making money. It wasn't making me a better filmmaker. It wasn't, imp- it was just costing me time. And, and I didn't really get it, you know, looking back now, I'd be like, well, this is enjoyment. This is who I am. It defines me. But at the time I didn't see it in that idea of success, you know, making money, being successful, having the um, respect of people around you, that kind of stuff. And so I ended up giving up cycling. Um, focused on getting a degree, got a first class, got the best result in my year, came out from that, became a self-employed filmmaker, and I was quite good at it. I was working in education, teaching young people how to make films and animations. I worked in um, feature films. I worked in short films, music videos. So got all of those things, ticked all of the boxes. But I missed out the really important stuff. You know, I didn't have anything that I enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. I um, I worked really hard thinking, you know, if I work harder, I'll dig myself out of this. I'll become more successful. I'll have more money. More people will like me. But I just dug myself deeper and deeper into this hole. I lived in a place where I lived in Newcastle, which was amazing up there. But all my friends moved away after university. Mm-hmm. I lived three hours away from my family. So I was quite lonely, very stressed, working really hard. And in the end, went to see the doctor about it and ended up in counseling for depression. Which is where I realized I wasn't, but at the time I would never have realized that I didn't have the capacity to look in within myself. You know, we'd go through these philosophies of Maslow's hierarchy of needs or the family yeah. scripts, all of these kind of things. And I'd love that philosophical conversation. You, oh yeah, it would be awful if you forgot these levels or you, you weren't focusing on these areas of your life, but I couldn't look inside myself. I'd divert the conversations to the principles of it. But what was that? What was... What was preventing you from looking inside, do you think? Have you any sense of that? Was it a fear of what you had found, Tybeta? Or that you'd mentioned earlier, I think, the sort of some of the dark times. Was it, that, was it along those lines or just something you'd never done and you were so focused on moving forward? It was a hundred times. To, to look back or look in, inside. It was something that I had never done. I wonder if, I'm 40 years old, I wonder if my generation, we never... Or maybe it's just for me. I didn't get brought up with that ability to communicate my emotions very well. I didn't have a vocabulary to explain what I was going through. Um, I didn't have a problem talking about what I was going through. It kind of felt like a relief, actually. I'd never really done it, you know. 
oh, what, what were you thinking that night when you were alone at home or you walked out of the club with all your mates there and you just walked through the streets feeling so sad? And I was happy to talk about it, but I couldn't look within and go, actually, these are some of the changes that I need to make in my life. And I remember it being given homework to do by the counsellor, but not doing it because it wasn't important. It wasn't something that was going to make me more money or more friends. You know, yeah, it was yeah. self-development. And I guess that, there was kind of a stigma within my own life, like self-development, looking at myself, thinking about my emotions. God, that is, that's something I'd never do. It's not my thing. Um, and so I just swept it under the carpet. Yeah. So I'm just wondering then, so part of, again, just me thinking about some of the work that we do, that, um, we do work on perfectionism. And uh, mm. a lot of what you're describing is that sense of there's different types of perfectionism, but not, because I think you, you, you were talking about trying to um, make other people like you, I think, he, I think is what the words you said are. So that's yeah. why we sometimes describe that as socially prescribed perfectionism or social perfectionism. And then your, your self-worth is not, is driven by a large part trying to make other people, or to impress others or to do what you think others expect of you. Mm. Would, that be, would that ring true at all or not at all? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh uh, yeah, without a doubt, you know, looking at, I've got to get that degree. So everyone thinks I'm successful. I've got to earn the money. I'll, forget those jobs people like me and even recently on the last world record for sure a lot of the things that I was concerned about are well, what if another cyclist could do better than this what am I going to look yeah. like if I don't live up to this expectation and even to the point of we um I work with a psychologist on all these projects the world records and on the first one he asked me what my motivation was what was my why and first off you know it was that very shallow why well, it's to get the world record you know and he was like well it's not that's not really good enough Lee. what is, is there something else I was like, well, okay well it's the respect of people around me then isn't it it's not just the certificate people will know that I'm the greatest cyclist at riding across the continent and this he's like let's take it back a bit okay so what if you don't get a certificate what if people don't respect you was it all a waste of time what your motivation has to be something intrinsic to yourself and mm -hmm. we ended up going through a lot of my backstory and a lot of the things that were important to me and um, at the end of the day, it was how I decided to define myself. That's the thing that it came down to, um, which was intrinsic. And that was something that it was very difficult for me to deal with. It wasn't, we just, we just talked about kind of this lack of education of how to talk about your emotions yeah. or start to deal with things. I think going, through, going around the world, I started to build awareness, but definitely at this time, thinking about what it means to me. So we came up with this motivation that was um, when the world is really throwing everything at you you've got nothing left and everything's going wrong what is the decision that you make that defines you um and it was always the idea to keep on going you know at the finish your finish line version of yourself what would they be saying when it's cold and it's dark and you want to give up and that finish line version doesn't care about how comfortable you are they just want you to get the record you know come on lee it's about being your, your own um your own cheerleader but going back to the perfectionism I, yeah, I really struggled a lot on the last record with that comparison and living up to expectations of others that I was creating in my own mind as well. Yeah, yeah. Just recently, I found myself doing it again. I had a really stressful week a couple of weeks ago, you know. This kind of project does bring along a lot of stress. There's so many aspects of breaking a world record. And a couple of weeks ago, it was a really stressful one. And I was talking to the physiologist, the guy who was training my body, and explaining, yeah, it's been a really hard week, this is going on, that's going on. He's like, do you really need to lead on all of that? And I said, oh no, I'm not leading on it. Somebody else has got that. And he was like, well, what are you doing then? 
you know, it, you realize it's because you want everything to be right from your own point of view. You yeah. You're a perfectionist. He said the exact words. And then after the call, I opened my computer and there was a website where they'd written my bio up there, but they'd written something wrong. So I was rewriting that for them. And there was another area and I was recreating this for somebody right. else. And I, I suddenly stepped back and realized none of that is actually important. Like, it doesn't matter. We've got to, you know, good enough, it's done. Let's move on to the next step. But it's, but it's always this balance, isn't it, though? Because the reason, the reason why you're so successful, the reason you've achieved these incredible feats is because of that intrinsic drive. That's part, in part that perfectionism and drive. But, they, then, but the, the flip side then, as you're just highlighting, is wanting to be in control of everything and everything to be just as you want it is so exhausting. And always reminds me of the fact that I remember as a, when I was training early days as, as a psychologist and I can remember some lecture at uni and it was the idea that when we think about physical um, capacity, we all know there's only a certain amount we'll get exhausted. We are, we're all limited in the amount of physical energy we can actually expend. And it's exactly the same for mental health. And if you're using so much of your energy, and I, I mean, I do the same. I'm, I'm a social perfectionist as well. And you waste so much energy and that's energy which could be used for more fulfilling things and and let's find that balance so maybe kind of move it move us on a wee bit on this because actually i'm going to come back today i'll maybe just say no if you're not able in your case to cycle what else do you, what else do you do or are you doing other things to manage your mental health you mentioned earlier the counselor experience so do you want to maybe because i think we only got part way through your journey there earlier so a lot of the management of mental health is is kind of through the psychologist within the world record team actually um there's obviously a great awareness of the, the amount of stress you've got to deal with it's just, it is a strange dichotomy that in one way i feel like i'm alive when i'm pushing myself i'm creating a new project i'm growing i'm you know you're you're pushing the limits of what's physically possible mm -hmm. and i love that i think that it's just in my nature to continue pushing and growing but at the same time, that does deliver this huge amount of stress. So in the first world record, we went through, it was called a performance profile, where you outlined the most important characteristics that you think you'll need to break that record. And for me at the time, I was completely new to this and I just saw performance and it was all about uh, mental toughness and financing it. And I know it's all of these very performance-based things what the first round of um, psychological interventions came down to was actually what we called being the best at the skills that require no talent. And it was organizing your, your space around you and mm -hmm. your laptop desk, your desktop on your computer. So I was spending more time looking for things than I was actually using them. You know, my life was so disorganized. We just tidied that up. It saved so much stress and yeah. so much time. Um, same with time management. I had a a paper um, diary. I had a bigger paper diary. I had the one on my computer that was linked to various different email addresses. It was all over the place. And so we combined them all into one. And within each um, appointment, it was prioritized whether it was a fixed time and I needed to account for the time to get there and the things that I needed and who I was meeting, all of the details. Or if it was flexible, I'd color code it in green rather than red. Yeah. Then the most, maybe the most important thing of those skills that require no talent was sleep. Phil, the psychologist, described sleep as 
the greatest performance enhancing drug in the world yeah. and the least used. And you're kind of getting an idea of the kind of person that I am. I'm, I can be quite frantic and stressed and there's a lot of things to do, all the plates are spinning. And the idea of sleep was wasted time to me. I was like, well, you're telling me to stop doing what I, whatever I'm working on at nine o'clock, have an hour just to myself and then put in eight hours of sleep <laughs> before I can get up and do it. That's, that's nine hours of wasted time. I can go to bed at midnight, I get up at five, like I'll just work harder. And it took a lot, it, it took them getting out some um, white papers and case studies and delivering it to me and showing these are actually scientifically proven benefits. You will work at such a higher capacity if you sleep more. Well, I mean, the sl sleep is so important. It's something in, in the mental health sphere. It really has now become so, um, getting so much more focus than it ever has in the past. But you're right. So, uh, um, because, I mean, because it impacts not only on your, there's some evidence that it can influence your genetic, um, uh, whatever expression, your gene expression, as well as obviously your psychological health, your physical health. So, so then I'm just curious then how you went from, or, ha or have you gone from the, going to bed at, at midnight, getting up at five. Are you doing the eight hours now? And let's be honest here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I would say, well, I always get more than seven. It's always between seven and eight. Right. Yeah. I so do you have any tips on how you've done that? Because thanks, a lot of people will struggle with going from the short sleep or the disrupted sleep to a, a regular sleep pattern. So what, what do you think worked for you? There's a lot of things we we did a whole load of work on sleep hygiene so there's so many things from another thing that we did was creating zones in my life so there was a working zone if i was on the bike or at the desk everything around me was 100 percent focused on being set up for work mm -hmm. if i was in my relaxing space at somebody else's home or in my lounge it's set up to relax in. and the other one was the sleeping space so sleep hygiene is all about making sure it's dark enough that your body is ready to sleep, you know, use blackout blinds, um, make sure it's the right temperature. I think it was around 16 degrees was ideal for sleeping. Take any electronics out of the room, there's no distractions. So even my phone is set up in a different room. When the alarm goes off, it kind of double, double works because I have to get out of my bed into the cold air and then go and walk to a different room and then you're out of your bed. Um, not eating an hour before you go to bed, making sure you're on top of your caffeine intake so I don't drink coffee after about four o'clock in the afternoon. There's a lot of different things, but the beauty of it is there's so many books about it. You can read so much. Yeah. Um, it's very easy stuff to implement as well. Um, yeah. When I started to feel the benefits of it, that you would wake up and be fresh <laughs> or you would hit those targets in the gym that you've not been able to before because you're recovered, your body is building. I started to see the benefits and I really believe that um, performance increase comes down to habits and routines. And if you can build small habits, I mean, just starting small and being able to build them in gradually is much better than going, right, I'm going from five hours to eight hours and it's, it's all or nothing. Yeah. You end up failing, but you know, bit by bit, you build these new routines into your life. And so as part of your training though, have you been monitoring how much sleep is that? Do you record how much sleep you get? And do you do, is that level of, and then do you then see your, your physical performance? And have you been able to see that directly, the, the clear and, and very clear benefits of that? Yeah, absolutely. So on the last world record, we did a sleep diary. It was quite crude in a way. It was down to, I'd write down the time that I went to bed, how long I thought it took me to fall asleep, and then what time I woke up, and kind of whether I felt like it was good or bad quality. It was very much on my own perception of it. 
Um, I didn't have to analyze the data. The team are always analyzing what I'm outputting. Um, they saw the, the definite increase in performance from sleep. Another area of my life was um, nutrition as well. I worked with a nutritionist to start with who I didn't have any control over the food I was eating. I think that the calorie intake was restricted too much and the team would see my performance tapering off. Mm -hmm. we, we had a weekend where they're like, okay, Lee, or you just go have a blowout, go and get a pizza, have a night out, just enjoy yourself. So like everything that I do in my life, I went to town on it. I had two starters. I had a main course. There was a special on desserts. I had a couple of those. It was two for ones on cocktails. Just bring them all in. Um, all or nothing in my life at that time. And But went back into the gym on the Monday, 15% power increase. So oh. yeah, I think that, you know, sleep, we definitely saw it in there. Nutrition, um, enjoyment as well, you know, to be in a good space in your mind. And that just bringing it right back to this record now. Um, I've been working with a psychologist for maybe two months now for this record. And it's very much about enjoying the journey. You know, I've got this capacity in my mind where I very much focus on the achievement. Ironically, at the end of the last record, I got to the finish line and realized that, well, you just broke a record and I felt completely empty. I've broken a record by nine days. It was unbelievable. And I didn't feel like there was anything in it. I wondered why I'd done it. Um, and this time it's much more about enjoying the process, understanding why you're doing things. And so we've set up three things that kind of work very well in this podcast, actually. The first thing is every morning when I wake up, I have to write three things that I'm grateful for from the day before. Yeah. And previously, what I found myself in was quite a negative mindset that I would have to try and find um, interventions to get myself into a positive mindset like okay well I'm going through this hard time on the on the bike how am I going to get myself out of it what can I think of whereas starting with three things I'm grateful for the day and I write them in a gratitude diary I've got those things they're automatically primed when I hit a difficult time so if I'm doing a training session oh I can't do this I can't do it okay what was that good thing that I thought of yes oh yeah I did spend that time with my mum it was lovely actually the birds were sick yeah to put that straight in your mind well, I think the gratitude, gratitude diary is, I think is a great idea. And because um, I think we spend, as you're right, we spend so much of our time focusing on the things that go wrong and not enough focusing on the stuff that has gone right. And, and, I, and, and so I think that's, that's a brilliant tip. So I'm, I'm loving that tip. And obviously, I, I really like the point you made also earlier about the, the sleep, subjective sleep. It's how you feel. Because mm. again, there's 101 different ways in which you can me measure sleep quality. But my understanding of some of the, research on sleep and mental health is actually just your self-report of actually do you think you've had a good night's sleep is actually a good predictor a relatively good predictor and i so even though so for a message for people listening to this if so you don't have to do all this regular monitoring if you're not well unless you're going for a world world record of course <laughs> but if you're not you can just it's really good just to try and remind yourself well I actually did have a good night's sleep and, and try to think then of what what characteristics of that sleep hygiene and, and they're good examples you, you've given. Sadly, I haven't got, um, uh, as well as you, I, my phone's still beside my bed. I'll take a oh, big, no. big wrench to move that. Don't, I don't, I don't want to hear. I still people. sleep with a nightlight, so. <laughs> you sleep with a nightlight? And so I don't, it doesn't I, keep you awake? I don't like the idea of waking up in the middle of the night and seeing nothing but, you know, darkness. I watch too many horror movies. There's someone in the corner, you know. I just let me just have a little light in the corner so I can get my bearings. Oh. 
yeah, Craig, we've got a lot of work to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> that big take beyond this podcast. Yeah. Here, so can I can I bring it back for a second to MQ? So uh, Lee, you're one of our ambassadors. Hmm. So do you want to do you want to tell us a bit about how you got involved with MQ and and really, as you know, w- one of the key um, aims of MQ is to set the agenda for research, and that's what we're trying to do. And we try to do that working and speaking with our ambassadors to get some sense of that. So two things in one, how did you get involved in NQ? What do you what do you think about it? And then maybe what do you see as the key research priorities from, from your mind? Yeah, I got involved with MQ with the previous record, actually. So before I went around the world, so that was 2010, I think there was quite a big stigma around mental health. You know, I looking back, I think I should have raised money for mental health awareness then, but in a lot of ways, I didn't want to talk about my own experiences because people, you know, are people going to judge me on it? Are people going to just think that I'm not capable of doing these things because of what I've gone through? And I came back and the world was slightly different. That stigma had been kind of relieved a little bit. And I was talking to my mentor about who I was going to support through this world record. And he was like, why haven't you ever done anything for mental health before? I was like, well, you know, the stigma, I don't, you know, is that our sponsor is going to want to come on board with somebody who's gone through these problems or, you know, will it be seen as detrimental to my performance? He's like, no, this is the time to talk about it. Um, and so I started to look at various mental health charities and they're all brilliant. You know, there were so many out there, but it seemed like they were all dealing with um, helping people with the symptoms, you know, when you're going through it, rather than looking for the solutions, looking for mm-hmm. how can we research? How can we understand more about it? And our projects are so driven by research and data and understanding how we can develop a better performance. And mental health is so intrinsic to it all. When I found MQ, I was just like, well, that's it. This is the perfect partnership. It's science and it's improvement and it's mental health. It's everything that I'm about. Bringing my whole backstory into it and you know, my, own, my own experiences of depression as well and anxiety. It just felt like the perfect fit. So I started to fundraise um, for them on the last world record. And since then, we've done some speaking events. I speak about my own experiences and some of the tools that I've shared today um, with corporates and at bike shows and things like that. It just works really well. Um, And I guess it does tie into my ideals for the future. You know, the reason that I would, I want to support mental health research is it would be great to have a world in the future where people don't have to go through what I went through, you know, where there's a, a society that's understanding of what people are going through. And I still feel nowadays, even though I don't think there's such a stigma around mental health, but there certainly is still mm-hmm. people, when people realize what you've gone through, like if I talk, people meet me as a world record holder, or somebody's cycle around the world and then say, yeah, yeah, I struggle with depression and anxiety. Really? Yeah. You? Like, that shouldn't be something that you know is a surprise it's just we all have mental health whether it's you know you're in a good place or a bad place so I think the understanding of mental health we still have a long way to go in society um I think that within research it would be great to just have tests to understand when people are young if they're susceptible to certain types of maybe uh, mental uh, illnesses so that support could be put in place or there could be some kind of um structure around people's lives who might be susceptible they might have those genetic codes yeah um and i think that within you know society in in general i think that just to develop 
you know, with uh, the smart technology, there's uh, smart watches and phones, we're tracking more and more, we're tracking sleep, we're tracking stress. And I think that when we start to develop that and in like a health checkup in the doctors where you'd have a physical checkup, you have that same mental one as well. So there's an alarm going off on your watch. Okay, you're really stressed. And there's something you can do, whether it's medicinal or whether it's more holistic approach to, to overcome those symptoms. I think that for me, they're the kind of key areas. Yeah, no, I think, I think they're great suggestions. I think we've, in the last 10 or 20 years, I think within the mental health field, mental health research field, or what we now describe it as the mental health science field, we have made progress in terms of getting better at prediction. But I think we're still a long way off. And, and, and it recognizes the fact that depression or anxiety or any mental health problems never, there's no one risk factor. It's, it's, it's multifactorial and that's the challenge. But I think you're right, if we can do more earlier on, early identification will lead to hopefully better intervention and, and better health outcomes. So no, they're, they're, they're great suggestions indeed. Um, now the, the bits I'm just curious on just what you said about between, I think it was between 2010 and, and then more recently in the last 10 years or so, you've, you've, you've personally seen this shift in less stigma. Have you any sense of why, why that stigma? Why do you think we've been able to challenge that stigma better? Do you have any, any suggestions why you think it's worked? I'm really impressed by the work that goes on in schools, to be honest. Mm. I, I end up speaking in a lot of schools about my own journey and a lot of it's finding your place in the world and pursuing your dreams. And, you know, if you're in a school, you just get to see life unfolding. There's no, no, there's no pretense. It's just these kids are going to have a fight. They're going to throw food across the food. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. Um, but when you see an argument in school nowadays, when I was young, you, you know, Lee, you're over in that corner. Billy, you're in that corner. You're an idiot. You've got detention tonight. What do you think you were doing? Your parents are going to hear about this. That's what it was like. And now they take two or three or how many, how many children are arguing to one side and they say, okay, what was actually going on there? Do you think that, that was actually related to this moment? Do you think something might have happened yesterday? Um, is there something that you were struggling to communicate that you, maybe you had to express, you found yourself expressing it physically rather than just using your words? And the children are developing a vocabulary to be able to explain their emotions. And you'll see charts on walls where if you don't quite know what you're feeling, is it within this sad bracket? And then within sad, there's another few words that you might be able to express and you can take um, inspiration from some, yeah, some emotional guide on the wall. And I think that seeing that is a real positive step towards understanding mental health and to be able to help each other through it. I think that there's a lot more support for people nowadays yeah. that understanding. It no, I think great. you're right. I think there's so much how we've changed. And I, I have two kids and actually my daughter just finished school yesterday, which I just can't understand how the heck that's happened. Um, <laughs> but 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 it just just seeing now what, how, how schools operate compared to, as you say, when we were at school, it's very, very different. So no, I, that's a great message, I think. I didn't know that you was a filmmaker. Oh, yeah, I've got a degree in filmmaking, yeah, and motion graphics. As a, as a filmmaker myself, I was just wondering, do you feel that you gravitate to more difficult occupations, difficult tasks, uh, more than uh, other people? I guess the rule for like filmmakers, as many people go to, to uni or have that, that passion, very few become a Spielberg, a Christopher Nolan, you know, a Tarantino. Mm. 
especially even going for like world records, like most people can't do that. Do you feel like you gravitate to, do you have that inside you to gravitate to those type of um, tasks? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I got into filmmaking because I wanted to make um, outdoor pursuits videos. I wanted to be the guy that jumped out the plane before the client and filmed them falling to the ground. I wanted to be the guy that went out and filmed for Red Bull, like doing the crazy downhill mountain bike and stuff like that. And through, through university, it was a strange time. I think maybe this is a problem with education in a way, you kind of get guided towards something that might not be you. Um, I got pushed. I mean, I loved doing animation actually. I really enjoyed it. I went from a world where, um, you kind of have to work with what's around you. And then suddenly in animation, you create your own world. Maybe that was a fantastic way for me to escape. You know, actually at that time in my life, I was probably in quite a good place until the third year. I think that's when things changed. Um, what I realized coming out of that was that I didn't find the right place in the industry to work. I ended up maybe teaching people too much. So enabling people to have the facility to Create their own stories you know I saw young people making their own stories that I wasn't making mine I was teaching other people how to do it and maybe at that time I also felt like I didn't have stories to tell um, I guess that's always dependent on the way you see your life as well which is quite a big telltale you know I've got no stories to tell in my life I don't do anything interesting actually maybe I should have just dug a bit deep and learned who it was that I was trying to be um, I would kind of like to do a bit more filmmaking now. I think that it, you know, when I was going around the world, I always wished that I was a doctor um, because just to have those, that, the skills that are necessary to change somebody's life in a moment, if you find somebody injured at the side of the road, you can change their life or you can help people. Um, and someone said to me, it doesn't matter what skills you've got, what qualification you've got, you can use it to better other people's lives. And I think that filmmaking in this day and age has the ability to do so much. You can share someone's messages. You can communicate so well with people. So I think it's a really powerful tool. Um, I haven't really gone on to, to do anything like that. You know, the cycling around the world was always just supposed to be a journey of um, happiness to try and find, you know, at that time, there was a guy called Mark Beaumont who had just gone around the world, broken the world record for it. And I thought, why would you, why would you like push yourself going around? There's an amazing world to see. I'm going to take my time and do it. Um, and then I come back and break a world record. Instead. <laughs> and it's a bit of a weird one. Um, I think that oh, everyone's journey is different. I think that in pushing myself on the world records, just as if you're pushing yourself in film or pushing yourself in whatever you do, you learn something new about yourself. And that is the reason why I push myself. If I, if I did it and didn't learn anything, I don't think I'd find any value in it. Um, and that's kind of what I say if anyone asks, when someone breaks your record, are you gonna be sad about it? No, hopefully they will learn all of that stuff that I got to learn in the run up to it. And they'll become an incredible person for it. They'll learn so much about themselves. That would be brilliant. It's like a shared experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it is, you know, I think that every, the most valuable things are shared. Have you ever heard of that philosophy? It's a Japanese philosophy called Ikigai. It sounds familiar. There was a book that was popular about it about two 
three years ago, something like that. And it's the Japanese word for purpose or meaning. Um, and this book talks about, you know, those Venn diagrams where there's circles are overlapping. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's four, these four things in life. And if you can find the job that make that incorporates them all and they overlap, then you found your purpose in the world. So those circles were something you love, something you're good at, something you can make money from and something the world needs. And if you can find the job that incorporates all of those, they all overlap and you found your purpose. And the really interesting one there is the bit, the thing that the world needs for me, you know, you could say you're a guitarist and you were really good at it and you enjoyed it and you made money from it. I think if you weren't sharing it, you know, if you weren't on stage letting people listen to it or teaching people how to play the guitar themselves, it would almost become kind of meaningless just to sit at home playing the, the most amazing guitar in the world, mm-hmm. but not sharing it with people. I think that we kind of have to. So I really enjoy that work that I do in schools. I enjoy going out and speaking at corporate events. So, you know, it's, it's a nice way that you can make money from your experiences, but also all of this stuff that I've put myself through. Somebody once described it as, they said I should do a PhD because I'm basically putting myself through a load of tests, finding <laughs> some results, and I could create some really interesting papers from it. Um, dissertation yeah, yeah i am <laughs> and I, it's so weird i'm the product at the end of all of this it's a very weird concept but everything that i learn i really hope others can learn from it as well mm-hmm. you know these tools aren't just to become a great cyclist they're to overcome your own problems and those basic ones that we talked about today the sleep the creating zones the um organization they're the things that you need to do to to make yourself great at anything everyone's got their own passion and you become good at it because, you know, the 10,000 hour rule, you know, you, you do something purposeful practice, 10,000 hours, you become a master at it. That's driven out of practice. That becomes your talent. But there's thousands of people who have become so good at it. And you've just got to build the foundations. Like we call it the, an elite athlete's lifestyle, becoming so good at those other small things that then you, you push your talent much higher just on that solid foundation. So yeah so going back to purpose would you say that you found yours um i yes okay yeah i do feel like i found my purpose but i also feel like my purpose over time will change there are other aspects that i need to build into my life Mm. i've talked about you know achieving those targets and what i've tended to do through life to achieve these great things is sacrifice um other areas so i'll sacrifice time with friends i'll sacrifice time with family um i'll sacrifice my own personal time i'll wake up at six in the morning i'll be training until nine then i'm at work and then from six until nine i'm working hard i'll maybe fit in some food and then i'll go to bed and i'll get up the next day and repeat again and not leave enough time to just sit and you know i love to sit and read a book watch film or spend time with friends um so this time we're looking at that. We've broken down my life into these different areas. And every week I've got to make sure that I'm doing something in each area and I monitor the stress within each one as well. So on that work level, you know, if stress is going to be high there. I can't have a high level of stress in my athletic training as well. Or if I have got it in both, I've got to make sure that I've got less stress the week after so I've got time to recover. I think there's a lot of areas that we need to look at because no matter what you want to be, whether you want to be a great filmmaker or a great cyclist or whatever, it's 
the human behind that person that has to be amazing. They've yeah. got to be happy. They've got to be motivated. And we've talked about having that pot of energy that you've got. And when it's depleted, you can't give any more. What you can do is top it up with positive experiences, which is the things that I've sacrificed. So more time with friends so that when you're in that difficult situation, you've got those great things to look back on, those three things that you're grateful for from the previous day. I did get to spend that time with Craig. We had that wicked conversation or, you know, I spent some time with my mum and we went out and we did that trampoline or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> can't imagine my mum on a trampoline. But, <laughs> but yeah, there's different areas where you can invest a bit of energy to get a greater outcome. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of things to learn about that. It puts you in a, such a unique situation in terms of the fact that you have so many people around you that help monitor aspects of your life to make you better. And, and, and also in a way that you found your purpose. There's people, I guess, who go their whole life and still at the end feel a bit confused to what their purpose on life in life was. And for mm. someone, you know, so early on in their life to find this, that's amazing. Yeah, you know what, though, it's a really difficult one, because people have said that to me before. And I think, I think anybody could go out and just start walking a path towards what they want to do. And it, you might not be 100% sure what you want to do. Oh, I don't, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Well, just try it. Because if it's not the right thing for you, you at least won't be in the same position and you can choose another route and then try that and you'll always be learning. It's an easy thing to say, it's a difficult thing to do because you kind of have to sacrifice, you have to give up comfort and you have to give up a nice salary, like all those kinds of things. What I think happened in my life is I got to that point where I'd kind of hit rock bottom, struggling with depression, wasn't happy. I'd, I'd achieved all of those amazing successes, you know, I ticked all of the boxes and it wasn't working for me. And there was this catalyst, a moment when I got to ride a motorbike um, across Iceland with two people that I worked with. And suddenly my eyes were opened, like this landscape of like National Geographic magazine pages of volcanoes and deserts and glaciers and rivers of hot water and bubbling mud. And we were just riding motorbikes across this island and we'd wild camp in the middle of nowhere. It was just three of us. And, and I came back after that amazing adventure and went, I've got one life and the way I'm leading it is not fulfilling. Yeah. I've got nothing to lose. What would you do if you had like got one life, want to use it, what do you want to do? And because I had nothing to lose, I just went for it. And it started with travel. You know, I didn't dive straight into riding a bike around the world. I backpacked. I went to, I was going to be a snowboarder. That's what I thought I wanted to do. <laughs> like I went to New Zealand but within months, I'd fallen off, broke my collarbone, and that was that game over. But, you know, I'd started walking the path. I loved to travel. I traveled a bit more around Southeast Asia. Then I traveled, I lived in Canada. Um, and I loved meeting people. I, I just, new landscapes, new people, new cultures. It was brilliant. And I linked that up with the motorbike and the bike from when I was young. And I found something that I thought would work and I just went for it and cycled around the world. Now, I think a lot of things all link up from something I loved as a kid, something that I was enjoying at the time, the fact that I didn't have any commitments to, you know, I'd given it all up to go and start traveling. And so I could just go out and do it. 
so when people say, yeah, you're really lucky, I did have to go through this really traumatic experience, you know, going through depression at that time was a horrible experience. I would never want anyone to like hate their life, think, you know, what is the point of going on? This the world's better off without me, all of those horrible thoughts. But it put me in a position to go, you know what, let's make a world that I do want to live in. Let's go and do this. I, yeah. So when people turn to me, they're like, you're so lucky to, to have been able to do that. Well, the flip side of the coin is, you know, I wasn't so lucky to, to have had the thing that started it. It's a difficult one when um, you have got things that you would have to sacrifice. You know, if, if I'd started now, it'd be much more difficult because, you know, there's a house and there's a community around me and stuff like that. Um, or if you had kids, you know, you can't just run away. But all you can do is start from where you're at and do things that are accessible at that time as well within the situation that you're in. So, yeah, I think anyone is in, it has the opportunity to do it, but it's a difficult one to do. As we try and wrap this, bring this um, really fascinating conversation, we genuinely could go on and on <laughs> to oh, a close, but I maybe just want to pivot slightly and to, to bring it to, to an end. Um, so, and I was just curious, is a, this is sort of more left field, but I always think it's an interesting left field. So apologies in advance, Lee. <laughs> but, um, but if, if and you always see these in whatever newspapers and, and whatever else and other podcasts do these sorts of things. So here are two, two questions. First one is, anybody living or dead, you would like to go to, and you, one or two people, one even two people that you would love to have a dinner with or a dinner party with? So sorry. When, when you were going left field, I was like, okay, where are we going with this one? <laughs> um, I think I'd really enjoy a dinner with Robin Williams. Yeah. yeah, I just, firstly, I would love to meet that hilarious man who just sees, well, actually, no, from the outside, he imagines, sees the joy in everything and that mm. great comedian on the stage. But I would also love to know the truth. I'd love to know how he was really feeling. And, mm. you know, to just share that as well, to say, ah, oh, I feel the same. You know, people only see the outside. We live in a society nowadays where it's, it's more prevalent than ever with Instagram and Facebook. And we see these amazing lives that people have, but we don't get to see what's truly underneath and the struggles that people go through. So I would love to have the honest conversation with them and hopefully a giggle as well. But um, <laughs> No that's, a, no, that's a great one because it means you just said when we're trying to look at people's mental health, that outward experience or outward, sorry, appearance um, can be very deceptive. And then, okay, so my last one then is, and um, actually it fits, I think, hopefully quite nicely because we've been talking about your journey and your thus far, your incredible journey is, but well, looking back and thinking about um, if you could have a conversation with your 18-year-old self, what advice would you give yourself? With this one, I was probably given the right advice when I was young. and I didn't listen. Um, my mum always told me and my sister that she didn't mind what we did when we grow up. Just make sure you enjoy yourself. Mm -hmm. Do something that you love. And Emma, I think that my sister did do the things that she loved. She didn't go to university. She, she travelled around Southeast Asia at a time when it was somewhere that people didn't know. Like mm -hmm. She really went out and tried to see the world and and lived for the experience. In fact, it's an interesting conversation I was having with somebody about a year ago. They asked, why did you go to university? And I was like, well, to get the degree, you know, I needed to get the qualification to get the job. And I asked, why did you go to university? And she said, for the life experience. And it blew my mind. Like, really, you only 
that's what we're alive for. It's just to experience, you know. So I would, I guess the advice I'd give my 18 year old self is listen to your mum. It's not all so important, you know, it's all about enjoying it. It's enjoying the journey. And that's, you know, it's taken me another 22 years to really understand it. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Well, that's fascinating. That's, I think it's a great message to end on is, um, well, I mean, just, sometimes we do we all struggle to take advice from others it doesn't matter what age you are and so i think that's a great message is maybe um, i think it's john dunn the philosopher said this idea that no man is an island um, and or no person obviously is an island and and, and recognizing that we are our lives we're, we're meant to have people around us or we need support from others and i think learning and listening to others is a, i think is a great message so so thanks for that least but you're doing another world record what is it the greatest cycles <laughs> in seven days so 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 clearly clearly whatever you're doing is working obviously um, and how but, do you share that with other people yeah <laughs> I'd, lo I'd love to have a little bit of that as well <laughs> well let's just cover that for a second now i want to then let me reverse back to the sort of how you deal with your mental health because i'm thinking a bit beyond the cycling in a second but and you've touched on some of those things that's why maybe we'll touch on the team bit element of things now but yeah so tell us a bit about so this this latest challenge so when's it happening it hasn't happened yet i'm right it hasn't happened You're no sure. that's right yeah we're okay. just in the early stages of it now so the world record is for the greatest distance cycled in seven days um the record currently stands at 2180 miles which is 311 a day um it's a fascinating record. It's kind of, it, it's similar, you know, in the fact that it's an ultra endurance cycling event. So the experience is there, but then it's almost the opposite in a way, you know, where on the previous record, it was A to B. It was a logistical, a distance going across Europe. This time, the time is counting down. So where you were riding towards the target, now that target time is kind of counting down towards you. So there's oh, quite yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of, yeah, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of pressure built around that one. So and then, so, of course, so the mindset must be completely different then. Mm, yeah, and also where you might think, okay, well, this is a this one was seven days. The last one was sixteen days. You've got to ride half as much. It's going to be half as difficult. The capacity that I've got to ride at every day is heightened. So last time I rode two hundred and forty miles a day. This time I've got to ride over three hundred and eleven. So you're riding at a, a higher intensity which is also quite difficult on the mind. You know, the body can do incredible things, things that will always slow you down. In fact, there was this kind of a very poignant sentence that drove, it was the crux of the last record in a lot of ways, where you can be the fastest cyclist in the world on the start line, but it doesn't matter at all unless you've got a mind that is strong enough to get you to the finish line. Yeah. And I think that transcends sport, that goes throughout everything, no matter what you want to be. Mm -hmm. And in line with that, with MQ, we're running a project called um, Seven Days of Smiles, which is an opportunity for anyone to get involved as well. So between Mental Health Awareness Week, on, which starts the 9th of May, all the way through six months later, when I start the world record on around the 7th of November, we run this project where you can do seven days of activity. It can be any time. You don't have to do them all in a row like I'm doing. Um, and it's an opportunity to just get out. You know, I think over the last two years, we've seen the decline of physical activity and the decline of mental health through the pandemic. And this is an opportunity to set yourself a small target. Seven days, whether it's walking the dog a bit longer those days, or there's a lady on our Facebook group who's turning 50 this year. She wants to ride 
50 kilometers for seven days through those six months. Set that target. And this year's theme for mental health awareness is loneliness. So it's great if you go out and do it alone, try and socialize it, try and share your stories, support each other on social media, but even better, go out and do it as a family, do it as a group of friends and share that experience. Get outside, do a bit of fitness and raise a bit of awareness, raise a bit of money for MQ. Fantastic. No, that's a great way. And we'll put on the show notes, we'll put details of, of, the, of the campaign and so on. So that's great. No, thanks again. Um, and thanks to everybody who's listened. Hopefully people, there's lots of take-homes and hopefully people have enjoyed it. And even half as much as I have, we'll have done well. So thanks so much, Lee. That's fantastic. Thanks. Have Lee. a great day. Cheers. Bye-bye now. Thank you, Rory. Thanks. Hey, bye. MQ Open Mind is presented by MQ Mental Health Research, the only organization that exclusively invests into scientific research around mental health. Our vision is to create a world where mental illnesses are understood, effectively treated, and one day prevented. Visit mqmentalhealth.org to learn more.